HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi there, I'm Yom, host of Item 13, an African food podcast. I'm excited to be joining the Heritage Radio Network this year as we kick off our fourth season of the podcast. On Item 13, we cover all aspects of the African food ecosystem. You will hear West Africans squabble over who has the best jollof. Newsflash, it's Ghana. It's time to celebrate our jollof. Like we are done with comparing who and who did what. Yeah. And jollof is not just about even the rice, it's about the protein that goes with it. Guests share their expertise on African food ingredients and spices. This is a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the pepper coast. Fresh and aromatic peppers. That is what distinguishes West Africa. Tips on marketing food businesses. The good way to engage your audience is to take them on that journey. You know, get them talking about this idea you have. That way you are engaging them. They are engaging with each other. And you're getting useful insights that you can then pull from and use to develop your recipe. This season, my goal is to focus on more stories outside of English-speaking West Africa. So you'll hear stories from Benin, from Uganda, Liberia, and even Haiti. You'll also hear us discuss the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement and how COVID-19 has impacted some of the businesses featured on the show. You can catch up now on previous episodes of Item 13, wherever you listen to podcasts, and join us this season as we debut on HRN. Thank you. Getting the money was difficult. This seems obvious, but it was more physically and emotionally demanding than I could have ever anticipated. It is a mental roller coaster to try and sell yourself for three quarters of a million dollars. This quote comes from an interview our guest today had with Miss Bish. So today we're talking with Lynn Todd, managing partner of All Day Baby, and the former Here's Looking at You in Los Angeles. She recently shared the struggle of operating Here's Looking at You and launching All Day Baby in the midst of the pandemic with LA Mayor Eric Garcetti that was aired during the DNC. And this story is not singular. It is shared by so many people in the industry. Since this season is all about money, let's listen to some of these financial decisions that crafted this decision to close Here's Looking at You and the same decisions that made it viable to push forward with All Day Baby. And there might be another little surprise coming for our listeners today that Lynn will share. Um, so let's hop right into interview, Lynn. We're so happy you're here joining us from the West Coast. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for being here. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the invitation. So it's been a roller coaster and um, I like I just thank you for sharing everything so openly. It's like when we were prepping for this episode, not only were you on the DNC talking about the struggles for the industry, but like on your Instagram and, you know, with Eater, you're like very open about how challenging things are right now. So Tell us a little bit about like the reasons why and what happened with Here's Looking at You and the decision that led to that closure. 
Well, both restaurants um, were able to reopen by receiving PPP loans individually. And um, what was interesting is because they were just going parallel in that way, uh, it was pretty obvious to see which restaurant was taking in money and which restaurant was not taking in money. Um, So they were both open for takeout and delivery. And here's looking at you, even though we obviously edited our menu to um, be conducive to takeout. Um, The menu itself before um, was obviously more sort of designed to enjoy within two hours, sitting down, sharing a bunch of plates, um, having all the cocktails and wine and, you know, having wonderful banter with staff and and all of that obviously completely disappeared uh, during the takeout model. Um, Eventually we had outdoor tables that were added to our restaurant, um, which was excellent, but still nobody would come. And, you know, we served, we brought back, you know, high, excitable menu items like the double cheeseburger, you know, that we used to get yelled at about like why we took it away. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) and things like, you know, our frog's legs and and even the beef tartare, we figured it out, even though it took like 18,000 takeout containers Mm, to put together and assemble. Yeah. It's just people weren't coming. And, and I like to think, and I don't know if if this is true, but a part of me believes that sometimes when you have a certain emotion or memory attached to a kind of restaurant because I know I feel this way about some of my restaurants that I love here in Los Angeles um, and it, it, it involves being inside and being in this intimate buzzy center um, and knowing the bartender's name or what have you or even the guests sitting beside you and sharing the, your food with them when you cannot do that and then you and then you try to patronize that restaurant because you love it and you get the takeout it to me, it was very depressing, yeah, you know, it's like and, a bastardized version of like the former self that you knew. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and to even see my staff like so talented, even beyond our four walls to see them relegated to this experience of just like trying to find the time to or fill the time to doodle on bags and write thank you and like rainbows <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is that they were doing. Um, and, and of course, my 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 back of house staff, I mean, they are they're crazy talented and to see them sort of packing things into a to-go box. Um, it was, it was a little, it was just depressing is the only way that I can, and they, their spirits were high because we were all happy to get paid, um, and to be together again, um, even if we were distanced. So, um, to see its counterpart, its little sister restaurant, you know, obviously it was still new, um, it had only been open for three and a half months before the mandate closure in mid-March. Um, and that restaurant, I think, was still attracting lots of new people. Like even all the guests that I now know, but I only know them with fa- with masks on. I joke all the time right. that like one day when we take them all off, I'm going to have no idea who they are. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that restaurant I th- still had some kind of um, allure and those memories had not been built yet. We still had time to um, connect with our guests. And the food itself, you could say, is arguably more conducive to takeout. So we just made more money at All Day Baby. And and even though neither restaurant, you know, by the time we were deciding to close either one or both, even though neither restaurant was making at all enough money, um, it just at least made sense to if we're going to try to save one, um, it made sense to save the newer one because it was taking in cash. Um, even if we were avoiding large things like paying rent or, you know, in hopes of trying to renegotiate our terms, uh, it seemed unfair to (laughs) cut the cord short on all day baby. It's it's certainly not fair to our partners and even the staff whom I was still getting to know. Um, so that's, that was, it's heartbreaking. I still, it's been a few months, but um, I don't think that I've fully addressed even, you know, the grief attached to shutting down a restaurant that, you know, in some ways failed, but had nothing to do with what we did. Um, right. Or didn't do. It didn't, 
it didn't fail. It was forced to be closed by the government to keep the community safe and it couldn't be operable within the constraints. I mean, I think there's a huge difference between being forced to close and like failing. So I, I mean, I you know it's like depressing, but I think we have to like rewrite the terminology on that because I just don't think it's fair. <laughs> it's definitely not fair, but it's amazing the kinds of terms <laughs> to get yeah. pushed in front of you, you know, when, when money is at stake and yeah. all of those things. So basically, I mean, it was pretty black and white. It's like, we have cash flow from one, we have no cash flow from other, the other one, and we're just going to pull the plug. Exactly. And, it, you know, yeah. sometimes I sit here, even today, I probably thought of this. I could reopen here looking at you. I could beg to do all of that, rehire everybody and try, but I'm only at this point one person. And to try to keep a restaurant opening during the pandemic, in my opinion, really requires a thousand percent of my energy. Mm-hmm. And it, for me to only do it halfway for for both um, is not enough because we have to be extremely you know, mindful um, and scrupulous about labor. And I can't just hire an army of managers right now, <laughs> you know, because I feel like it, you know, and I want to provide, you know, jobs and leave. I want to do all of those things, but I just, I can't, I can't afford it. There's no money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hard reality. What, so, and so what happened with this space? Were you able to give it back to the landlord and you were able to walk away or use that? Is that like an ongoing negotiation? Well, at first, um, I hadn't had a second to explain to my landlord at here's looking at you have who I have a very great relationship with that we were making this decision to close on a certain day. I had let my staff know in advance because I wanted them to have two weeks notice at the very least from me. Um, but he found out through the valet guy. And so oh my God. <laughs> that's such an LA story. Oh, oh my God. God, Julio, it's not his fault. <laughs> But uh, he heard murmurs and anyway, so of course I get this call from Jimmy and Jimmy's like, I've been hearing things. And, and I said, you know, look, obviously you're on my to-do list, um, you know, but here we are. I don't, I don't really know what else to, to tell you, but I'm at, the, I'm at the end of this timeline with my PPP loan. I don't think that I can generate this cash all by myself, um, given the times, given the, the day it is. Um, how we all are feeling about the pandemic and how it was progressing here in um, Los Angeles County. And so I let him know it just seemed like the right decision, the logical decision, the, the correct economic decision to close. And he was like, well, don't close. And I go, what do you mean don't close? I'm not going to pay you rent. I can't pay you rent. And he said, well, don't close. Um, why don't we just leave it like it is and have the option to reopen? Right now, all I'm telling you is that you don't have to worry about rent. But again, like none of this is or was in writing but and I talked to I think I talked to him for at least 45 minutes that day and we ran around because I just wanted to really make sure we were on the same page and I remember him saying you know if if there is a chance that we can reopen in January you reopen in January you know and I do remember he said in the meantime what if you sell tacos you know on the once every couple of weeks or this and that um and he you know and we we could but it also is again, I have to be extremely mindful of my own resources and stuff like that. So long story short, the space itself is a gem. It's a corner location. It was the first of its kind of restaurant breed to open in that area of town. Um, It relied so much um, by being a unique destination restaurant and people are not destinating anywhere (laughs) right now. They're not supposed to be. Um, but that said, I think by our closure, I think the reaction to our closure was so large. Um, and I think suddenly there were murmurs that people were interested in taking that space. So I think from obviously a property owner's perspective, they're thinking they gave up on our space. Our space is still has value, which I fully agree with. If I could buy it, I would, or, you know, if I could just continue on, I would, but, um, now the the story has changed and now because i can't make the proper call to reopen it now and rent is still actually still on the table i i am owing on all of these months that i've been closed the the proper thing to do right now is to try and sell to to sort of call the bluff on all of these potential people that are apparently banging down the door <laughs> to buy mm-hmm. the space 
And, you know, and I really don't know. I obviously think it's worth a billion dollars <laughs> because it's so special. <laughs> and we kept the place, you know, in tip top shape. But, um, and I just, I remember I invested this amazing like spaceship of an AC that cost like 15 grand. So that's new. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, and everything's up to code. We have an amazing liquor license, but we'll see. It's, I think it's going on the market any day now. Um, but who knows? I really don't know. I think that if no one buys it and come January, let's say, to use that example again, and we could reopen and it makes sense to reopen, then we will. What are the vibes in L.A.? Are people anticipating reopening? Do you feel like you know, people are still building new projects? I think that people are still building new projects. Um, but they are, a lot of them are takeout only projects or like delivery only projects. A lot of them are expanded concepts that are working really well right now. And they're moving into ghost kitchen style, um, concepts, you know, in other parts of the, the region, you know, say they're located in downtown, they're opening other locations in other far away areas to, to better cater to that clientele that they've never reached before. Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I sit around and I think about this all the time and sometimes I don't, I'm, I'm always curious if I'm feeling the, the correct vibe. Sometimes for me, the vibe that I feel right now is that people are still um, scared of coronavirus. I think it's the vibe that I feel, even though I'm quite liberal and I certainly try to support my fellow restaurateurs and I do do outdoor dining and I, you know, I do all of that. Um, but the thought of reopening our indoor dining spaces, I'd, in my opinion, the vibe that I feel is that people are not ready for that. Um, and that the people that are or might be ready for that might not be the people we are interested in serving. <laughs> you know, it's it's the people that we're all reading about that are just like defiant about wearing a mask or being um, inconsiderate to our team members. And those are all things that I'm looking as a positive that as an industry, we should no longer tolerate, even though obviously our business is called hospitality. But I don't really think that we should be overly catery to these people that clearly have no respect for the spaces that we are trying to create. And we are being obviously forced to create a space of safety um, and concern for my own well-being, but my staff's well-being. Every day I wake up and I'm like, do I have COVID? You know, <laughs> am I going to close? <laughs> Do I, I get tested like, an 18th time today? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's like the guests are, yes, guests in your space, but your staff is also a guest and your business and you have to make sure that their safety is looked after. And it's true. You have to, you know, there is a such thing as a bad guest in this, in this environment for sure. Yes. Um, wow. I mean, it's all, yeah, it's, it's a lot. So basically the door is still open with here's looking at you. Um, but you're, you know, looking for a sale. So if anybody's listening and looking to buy a restaurant, Lynn is accepting offers along with a landlord. <laughs> so yeah. get in there. It's a beautiful space. Great AC. It's, um, I mean, it's a great space and it will be sad to let it go. But I think, I think maybe it was time, you know, and maybe it could become someone else's gain. Um, I would love that. I would so love that. I mean, I know that there's restaurants that I go to now and sometimes I sit around and I'm like, gosh, I remember when this restaurant was something else and you don't even think about it anymore. You know, maybe you'll, you'll be reminded a little bit and feel wistful, but I think it could be a pretty special space for, for the right restaurateur and I, it would honor me, frankly. It's a great outlook to have. Um, I know it's a challenging one. So so you have two babies, you have another one called all day baby, and that one's in a little bit of a different situation. So catch us up on, on what's going on there. So all day baby again was only open for three and a half months, um, before the closure in mid March. And it was only open for 10 days for the full all day hours as the name implies. So we had finally trained, gotten our own business, situated, acclimated, found all the team members, 65 of them, and opened up and never closed. So these, so 8 a.m., I think, until like 10 or 11 p.m., depending on the day of the week. 
and and then we had to close. So, but when we did that, and when we made the difficult decision to furlough everyone, including ourselves, um, we also made the decision to work for free and reopen um, just the window itself um, that very weekend. So a week had passed. We held a fire sale, tried to sell everything, and then what we didn't sell, we we're like, well, is there anything here? that we could try and make compelling enough for people to brave the outdoors, pre-order, figure out a way to pivot, as they say. And we created something called the biscuit window. So um, we have a takeout window that we built during construction, um, and I'm very glad that we did. And we, we've been serving out of that window from, from the beginning. So the difference between also All Day Baby and Here's Looking at You is I never fully turned off the lights completely so I think the momentum while different um it's still we were still creating momentum so every weekend or every couple of days we would do different types of windows it wasn't always a biscuit window and and that anticipation I think led to a level of um surprise that I think the pandemic at that time wasn't offering or it was it was interesting that it was being offered um and we sort of wrote it out. Like we, we did that for two and a half months. And then when we received the PPP loan for that restaurant, we rehired um, the, the number of people that we were asked to rehire um, per the loan agreement. And we tried to open in this kind of regular way. So we opened, I think it was 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. or something like that. Um, and business was slow. I think you you give them what you you give people what they want every day regularly, and then there's too many choices. And then there's you know, and now all the other restaurants obviously were getting PPP loans too, and they were reopening. So it was quite um, it was challenging. And then you have all of these people; they want to work. And even though it was a little bit busier than here's looking at you, it wasn't busy. You know, some days we'd take in a couple hundred dollars, and. Um, it was it was challenging, and then to see them both operate that way, it was it was hard for me as um, the operator, and just it, you can't help but feel extremely anxious, or that you're you're clearly not making the right decisions, you're not making the best ones, you're not innovating enough. Um, we proceeded that way for the next seven or eight weeks, um, and then when by the end of June, I had spent the whole time since I had rehired staff um, negotiating with my landlords, my two respective landlords to find new terms. You know, I was, I wanted to be fair. Obviously I got this, I got these loans. I was willing to pay two, two full months of rent um, to each respective landlord, but with the hopes of finding, finding a new agreement for July and moving forward, finding some, some sense of security that, um, we could still move on even with these extremely slashed sales. Um, and, you know, and no one was really willing to put anything on paper. It was very much a, we just need to see, you know, I remember in March, you know, my landlords were like, let's just see what happens in April, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, I think this is going to go on for a while. This is not, Same a, here, yeah. you know, Same. exactly. Yeah. And um, so when I didn't hear back after my last plea of an email, like, you know, really what I'm looking to, to do is see about July moving forward. When that email never got a response, I thought I had to close it down. However, <laughs> and I told my staff, I was like, we're closing it down. Your last day of work is this day. I mean, I told everybody. And then um, I had terrible feelings about it. I mean, I just, I don't know any other way to describe it. So I decided to talk to everybody. You know, I don't have a formal advisory board, but I spoke to my lawyer. I spoke to my accountant. And then I decided that I wanted to speak to two types of investors um, in my investor group at All Day Baby. One um, that is that is in the middle, you know, not, not like my biggest fan. You did everything you could, Lynn. I understand if you have to close, not that person, mm-hmm. but like someone that was like in the middle, in the middle, practical, you know, this person invests in lots of restaurants all across the U S um, really smart man. And I called him, explained our situation. And ultimately in the end, he said, if you have to close, we'll understand. Um, 
And I think that conversation inspired me to buck up and call <laughs> an investor that I would scare to call. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> and so I did. I mean, it was, I think it was like July 4th. Um, Why? Because he would have, or he or she would have been less, less uh, accepting or what, yeah. what made you scared? What made me scared was um, I don't think that sometimes when a lot of money is involved or, you know, obviously if you have a personal stake involved, sometimes the virus doesn't seem like it matters. You know, I certainly, I've I've thought about this in my landlord's, you know, pair of shoes and I totally understand that they have bills to pay and they believed in something. They believed in our project and they leased us. We are their tenant. So it's like business is business, so to speak. Um, But business with a virus and no coverage (laughs) plan, you know, for that is different. And it does require, I don't know, another aspect of decision-making. And what I was scared was that this landlord maybe wouldn't have that gene (laughs) Um, to think about it that way. And, And ultimately, you know, what I learned from that conversation and I kind of, it, it kind of played out exactly as I thought it would. And ultimately it was, um, if you close this, you're giving up, Lynn. And I don't give up very easily. In fact, it's actually a terrible part of me, which is I don't give up <laughs> even when I know I'm supposed to. Um, and I figured even though it was challenging for me to take away jobs again, um, the right thing to do was to at least scale back drastically, keep six people, who those six people would be. I mean, like that was a, that was a exercise in itself. Cause it, you know, I certainly don't want it to be about favoritism or whatever. And, um, so I, instead I had to backtrack, tell my team, we're not closing. I have to stay open you guys, but we're only going to do it with just a couple of us. Um, and the people that were essentially uh, important to the concepts, or for example, my pastry chef or my bar director, like those are things, those were positions that we needed. Um, you know, and I did my best to explain all of this. It felt really awful. Like now that I'm really thinking about it. Um, but I know, especially now, now that I am in the hindsight, um, I do see that it was the right decision. And so because I've been, now I work every single minute at the restaurant and obviously on the restaurant, even outside of the restaurant, um, we make more money. We make more money now than we did during those that the first stage of the pivot. So I I call this stage four or something. <laughs> and you know, and I'm there. I see everything. I say hi to every guest. I see every single online order. I know the people's phone numbers. <laughs> like I, you know, every Instagram post I write, and I I can sense. Um, I do my best to sense what is it that we need to connect on today. And, you know, when we can develop specials and we do all of these things in a weird, weird way, it's, it's reinvigorated a sense of inspiration, even though it required really traumatic decision-making on my part. Um, and even though we are not making enough, like the way that I try to describe it, because sometimes I just need like an elevator statement, um, to describe how am I doing? Cause it's a question that is difficult to answer right now for everyone. Um, cause when people come to all day baby and they come at nine o'clock on a Saturday and it's, it seem, it's seemingly very crowded and we're behind on getting the orders out through the window, it would seem like we're crushing it. And, um, I generally, I think sound really optimistic. So I think sometimes that gets interpreted as like, we're crushing it. But the truth is, is that in, a, in five days of sales, where we're all working full-time, we are making the sales that we made in one Sunday in the previous times. And, and we weren't even doing that well yet in the beginning. Like, we were, like, desperate for more business. And, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? Like, we need, we need delivery. We need everything. <laughs> we need catering jobs. And it's like, and we're working really hard. But I also know there's more. It's just... You know, when I really think about it, you guys, I, I do think that people that are starting whole new concepts right now are doing better than the people that are trying to save their concepts right now. 
I mean, there's, yeah, there's definitely some truth to that because like you said, with here's looking at you, there's like some psychology associated with what guests think that experience is. And you're trying to retrofit something for a new world that you didn't plan for. Right. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's disheartening, but your attitude is amazing. So I think like I can see why your guests keep coming back and your, you know, and your team is working so hard. Well, I appreciate um, it. I mean, I have fun. I mean, if I'm really gonna like be honest with myself, it's, I remember it has reminded me why I even like this business to begin with, you know, cause obviously it wasn't certainly to get rich <laughs> and, <laughs> but it's been, I love that I'm not missing a guest's visit. Like I like that I'm here for all of it. I sound like such a controlling freak, but like, <laughs> But um, I do enjoy it. And, you know, my team members are really, um, the team members that I work with behind the counter every day with, they're very young. Um, they, I could be there. We talked about it the other day that um, how old I would be if I were their mom. You know, they're, they're 20 and 24. And, and I love that I'm there with them during this time, um, this time of true, um, interesting and um, malleable transformation. You know, they're seeing lots of, they're seeing so much and, you know, and they are required to be their own little leader in their own department because there's nobody else. And I love, I love watching them grow and uh, make big decisions and stand up for themselves and ask and, you know, and speak to us, like speak to me and the chef, their bosses, but they, they explain what they need, you know, and they're, and they're, they have to project their voices. Young people don't talk very loud anymore. And, but we have to speak so loudly right now through our masks and through the plexiglass and out the window. <laughs> I just love that they're projecting their voices. I think it's an amazing quality. Yeah. Now. <laughs> like, I'm not yelling at you. It's just the math. Yeah. Confidence. Like they feel, they look great. I'm happy for them. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So when we first were starting this conversation, before we started recording, you were catching us up on how, you know, you're you basically, you couldn't get in touch with your landlord until you were seen with the mayor at the DNC. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then what happened after? Sure. I mean, so the appearance on the DNC was um, surprising. Um, it happened so quickly as far as the ask and then the the, the taping and then, and then the airing. Like I, I had this feeling I hadn't even have time to process what it all meant and um I don't, I had a feeling that people weren't even going to see it so I was quite surprised actually when you know no, the people res- saw it people saw it <laughs> and I was I mean there were, there couldn't have been anyone more surprised than me <laughs> so anyway um my landlord saw it and I, I you know and I have actually a very cordial relationship with him it's like I said, I, I have deep empathy for even what his experience is too. As a he, has, he owns many properties in the city, and the little the ones that I know are his. I mean, they're all closed, um, so he must be in pain. Um, but that said, you know, I'm not going to chase after somebody to beg him to pay rent. <laughs> right. So it was very weird. So he wrote me, and um, I hadn't heard from him since late June. 
and he just said, you know, how neat, you know, to have a great connection with the mayor. And I said, yeah, it's fine and everything. Like the mayor's a very nice person. Um, but you know, the person that I really need right now to be my ally is you. And I really need help figuring and letting you know what is it that I'm truly making. I'm willing to share with you like the, the dollar amounts that I'm making right now and letting you know that this is the rent that I can afford. And it's not everything, but it is something. And the more if, you know, and so it's, it essentially what it did was it opened up communications again. Um, and, you know, and it proved I'm, I'm not, I don't think unreasonable, um, but it, I, I need help. You know, I really need help. And one of the things that I thought of, and just right before that phone call that I knew I was going to have with my landlord, um, is that they have this vacant space across the street from all day baby. And it used to be a little market owned by my friend and she closed it well over a year and a half ago. And, um, originally they were going to potentially let us use it to lease the parking spaces to my managers, but they, you know, didn't really follow up about that agreement either. Um, but I figure, so, you know, they're very protective over their property and like what's, what is rightfully theirs, which is they're right. Um, but I thought I'm just going to say to them on the phone that I could probably pay more rent. I could get us to that number that you want, which is I'll pay you 50% of rent. But the only way that I can get to 50% of rent is if I were to keep the labor exactly the same, which is impossible and somehow make another $5,000 more a week. And the only way is to obviously add another service or do something like that. I don't know. Um, but I was like, maybe, maybe they'll let us expand into the space across the street for free. And so I asked, uh, they were willing to talk about it. I went ahead and explored all the different permits that I would need to have from the city and approvals and stuff. Um, can I serve my liquor, for example, from across the street to the other side of the street? So once I got, you know, thumbs ups on all of those things, we met and he was like, I'm willing to help you here. Um, I think I'm going to need lights because it's going to be a dinner type concept. So I think I'll just pay him for electricity. So now, now that we're finally here, <laughs> now I actually probably have to try to do this because <laughs> it's important that we try. We cannot just like rest. You know, it was like kind of one of my catchphrases working at here is looking at you. They'd be like, Lynn always says never rest. And she doesn't mean don't sleep on the job. She means like you can't just like settle. You can't just settle right. and know that, you know, this is it. You know, we're only going to sell 15 tartars a night. Or we're only going to have these guests. We're never going to have a third turn. Like those are things you, you can't just settle. So right now, I can't just settle on the fact that we're only making $15,000 in sales, much lower if we're dealing with fires, earthquakes, mm -hmm. the death of somebody important, protests, like all of these things that are very vital to our world, but certainly affects our business. And so we have to try. So I'm going to open another restaurant concept <laughs> <laughs> now, like immediately, and figure out a name, a concept, staffing, POS system. I don't even know. Um, we'll see. So, the, so, and this is all, you're trying to get this open pretty quickly. Is, so will it be, it'll be a totally different concept, correct? Yes. It's, it's an extension of All Day Baby, meaning it's under the umbrella because we will be working on All Day Baby time as far as prep and all of that. Um, but in my opinion, I don't want to extend the All Day Baby current menu into this um, space. I think, I think it just makes more sense to just do something completely different. Um, because we're so, right now, I think people are feeling quite comfortable with this breakfast and lunch concept during breakfast and lunch hours. I don't think people are quite ready yet to return to what I'm talking about as a 1950s vibe, which was like the, 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 the old business plan for all day baby, which is you would eat breakfast at 10 o'clock at night inside a diner with a milkshake, with alcohol in it. Like, I just don't think that we can get away with that right now in a reconceptualized parking lot with graffiti on the side you know it's not it doesn't make sense to me so not diner vibes it's not a diner yeah <laughs> but I could do something else and um and I think people will love that because I think what people enjoy about um my creative partnership with my business partner chef Jonathan Whitener is that we're sort of 
we like to challenge ourselves and, and then also challenge our guests and, and it doesn't have to be this one way. Um, so yes, we're going to yet again, reintroduce another situation. Um, I'm intimidated because I mean, I'm already doing a lot. I'm responsible for a lot, um, day to day and, you know, time is ticking. I know there in New York, you know, you guys are, um, leaning, and on the we- the weather, being cooperative mm-hmm. with you guys, and you guys are aware that the weather is soon going to not be cooperative with you guys, and now what? So we- I have a little bit of maybe more time than you guys as-, as far as that, but not that much. And, you know, it actually gets cold here at night all the time. I was chilly last night sitting outside eating some wings. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and you know, and I, I don't know how much all of this is going to cost. Like I, I look at everybody else that has, you know, redesigned their patios and added heat lamps. And I, I think about every to-go container that I'm using, every to-go bag. Like what are people doing with their bags? And <sighs> and it all costs so much and they just keep going up and we're all just like fighting for bags. It's crazy at the <laughs> store. I think there's a lot of that that's, that's happened. And I see it in New York and, I, you know, we asked this question to our guest last week about, what's going to happen to all the, the sidewalk seating things. Like yeah. I think everybody's scrambling to sort of, to bring dollars in, you know, whether it be you know, building these outside patios or like you said, buying heat lamps and the, the to go bags and all those things that I think people have to be careful and, you know, take a look at what all that stuff's going to cost and make sure that you can make your money back when, you know, when you, you start getting into a rhythm of that. Exactly. So this week my goal is, one of them, I mean, is is to really explore what these costs are truly going to be. Um, and just, I have to make sure that this is the right move. I think it is. <laughs> just, you know, and I mean, it does... I think you, you were able to convince the landlord on it in a pretty spectacular way. So mm-hmm. it was somehow meant to be. Right. So it feels good to me, and I'm not there, but it feels good so far. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. <laughs> that means a lot to me. Sometimes you have no one to talk to about this kind of stuff. <laughs> We're here. I'm curious. Well, you have us and all of our listeners, so I'm sure hopefully we'll get some DM feedback for you afterwards. But I'm also curious, like, what are your investors thinking about this? Um, a lot of them come and visit me pretty regularly. Um you know, maybe because they live nearby. And I think they just know that I'm working really hard. Um, and yeah. the majority of them, you know, they're not, they're not banging down my door, you know, invading my inbox um, and asking what's going on because there's, you know, m- not much has changed. Like there is really, there really isn't that large of an update. I think that they just see that we're putting in as much time and as much heart as we can. Um, and we're all just doing the same thing, which is we have to just see. And I don't, I, w- I would like to think that they are as realistic as I am, which is this could end up not looking good. Um, but I don't know. And I don't, I don't know if that's, it probably is my responsibility <laughs> to let them know that. But um, to me, it seems quite obvious, but I'm certainly not going to just rest, like I said. Um, I have to try and cause even every little, every tiny sale is a sale and it could generate another one and more and times 10, you never know. And you lose some too. You know, I mean, I even thought, am I going to lose sales by being on the DNC? And I was like, I don't have time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just got to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in those situations, I think you just have to do it and you got to negotiate with your landlord who wouldn't return your call. So I would right. say definitely a win to be on the DNC. Definitely a win. Yes. Amazing. Um, anything else you want to share with people that's like forward looking or, you know, what you think will change and what you're hoping to see in the future? I mean, what I'm hoping to see is that some of us are going to make it. And, and the us that I'm talking about are the small independents. Um, the last thing we need, at least in a city like Los Angeles or New York or any other of those fine, special, unique cities that we all admire, it, we, we, cannot, we cannot let it just die and be run over by Chipotle's. And 
I mean, how devastating that would be. I think what's in what's difficult for me sometimes is like I don't know how much to share and how you know how much a, a, a public can handle as far as truths and I saw I sometimes think that there are certainly some wonderful heart, big hearted people that think that they can help change it all and but I think you know, sometimes I look at my, my guests and they're standing at the window. They're like, well, we're coming every week, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, I, I love that you come every week. But it's, you know, it's not, if, you know, if we don't make it, it's not your fault kind of thing is sometimes what I want to say, because it's so much more. I mean, we would have to make so much more money right now. And, and sometimes we, we don't even, we can't, you know, like on, like right now, sales wise, we max out at like, 5500 maybe $6,000 on a Saturday and Sunday. And it's like, it's like being at war. It's very hard. And you cannot make enough biscuit sandwiches fast enough. You cannot bag them fast enough. You can't organize things fast enough. You beat yourself up when you accidentally forget the burrito in there and they've already gotten home. <laughs> and then... I mean, you make, it's, it's really, really hard, but it's just because this is the model now. It's like, we don't have time that, 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 you know, to just languish on a table and like order all the rounds of micheladas. It's a one-time sale and then they go and it's different. And I don't know how best to send this messaging out. Um, so what I would love to, I know that some concepts are doing well and I'm thankful because they have to they have to carry that torch for us. Um, and I mean, we all can, we can just hope, you know, and, and also I want to say we're going to be okay. Like I, I, maybe I'm privileged that I can, I know that I can say that I'll be okay. Even if they fail, even if I lose everything, (laughs) um, I could not say this this way and laugh about it a couple months ago. It was really, really hard. Um, but I'm in a different headspace about it now. Um, again, we just have to see. It's very unfortunate that we are like last in the race, America. I mean, as far as this COVID situation, and you know, I do see photos of people like in Paris living their living their terrine life up, and like <laughs> I'm like, why are we <laughs> so behind? Like we're never gonna get out of this. Is it's all about masks? Like what in the world? So. Yeah. I wish we could all get on the same page, but it just seems like we are two two glaciers moving further and further apart. It's really weird. Wear a mask and vote in 2020. That's all I keep on saying to people. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I so appreciate you openly sharing with us and our listeners, and we wish you the best of luck with the new conversion of the outside area into whatever fantastic restaurant you are going to make it and you'll know you succeed oh thank you um, i wish you guys could come i know i'm like <laughs> not getting on an airplane anytime soon i know it's like driving distance only right now in our household um but yes i miss traveling so much and i've been dying to come to la but it'll be coming to visit will be on the top of the list once all this is over yes absolutely um, and likewise miss new york yes i know it's like so so sad the travel um we also like to shout out opening soon announcements so i think we definitely shouted out you know you have something coming so everybody follow along make sure that you know when the new adjacent spot to all day baby opens um but is there any other friends or restaurateurs or chefs you want to shout out maybe recently opened or are opening well um I'd like to shout out my friends over at Subaki and Atoto, my friend Courtney, Courtney Kaplan, and I think she's brilliant. Um, she's just down the way, down Sunset Boulevard and Echo Park, and I think she has been extremely graceful at um, all her various pivots, and she's so knowledgeable, and I think Subaki, her restaurant, had a similar emotion attached, or the psychological stuff that we were talking about with H. Lay, and you know, what was special about her izakaya was just how tiny and intimate and all the little foods coming out and its progression. It was so orchestral and, you know, she can't do that now. And I know 
I know she's working hard to still to still connect with her audience. Um, I recently ate at a 97-year-old Mexican restaurant called El Cholo. It's an institution here in Los Angeles. And I, I knew they had outdoor patio. And then when I rolled up, I mean, I just went, wow. <laughs> I, mean, I was so excited to see what they had done to their patio. And, and, you know, it's just, it's enchiladas and nachos and big giant margaritas. But I was impressed. I was like, you know what? Like, you guys are here still for a reason. And I have a lot to learn. Um, but I felt like I was in Mexico. And I ate so much <laughs> that night. <laughs> I mean, if that's like if a nine, if a like a ninety something year old restaurant can do it, then you know I think that's a good inspiration. If they can figure it out, we all can, right? Exactly. And so I was extremely inspired by that. Amazing. Um, we have a friend who's opening a new restaurant in Houston, Texas, Ostia, Travis McShane, who's been he's worked with Jonathan Waxman for a very long time in New York and also in Nashville. So. Um, this is his first solo restaurant. So we're super excited to see what what he does. Um, so that's opening next week in Houston for anybody who's there, go give them, um, some love and support. Um, Al, you want to wrap us up? Uh, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks again, Lynn, for, for sharing with us and, um, a very real story that I think a lot of people can relate to. And, um, we're excited to, to see what comes, uh, in the future from you guys. We'll put a wrap-up of today's show on our website, tilletnyc.com. We'll also send one to your inbox to make sure that you're on our email list. Um, How do we find you guys on social, Lynn? My personal account is Lynn T. Gray, which is spelled L-I-E-N-T-I-G-R-E. And I also run the All Day Baby LA account. And once in a while, I'll still post something nostalgic on the Here's Looking at You LA account. Cool. That one. That that story may not be over yet. It's still, <laughs> still untold. TBD. TBD. Um, exactly. And TBD. you can follow us and find us at We Are Opening Soon and at Till NYC. Thanks again, Lynn. Thank you. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place, and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.